On the special day when we honor dads, I want to share some quotes with you about fatherhood. Here's the first. A father is someone who carries pictures in his wallet where his money used to be. Dad is a person you ask when mom says no. The best thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. I'm not sure if a mom wrote that or not, but it's a great quote. Here's another. A father is someone who is proud to see you get your first car but secretly wishes that it had no keys. Some of you have been there. And, and here's another. A dad is someone who wants to keep you from making mistakes, but instead lets you find your own way, even though his heart breaks in silence when you get hurt. It's a thought-provoking quote, isn't it? And on the lighter side, here are five signs that you are a new father. Five signs that you are a new dad. Number one, getting five hours of sleep is a privilege. Number two, you're used to doing everything with one hand. Number three, you answer the question, how are you with, we're fine. Number four, the thought of your mother-in-law coming over for a few hours is a pleasant one. And number five, your idea of romance is holding hands. Now, fatherhood can certainly be challenging for a new dad, And as our kids grow up, being a dad is an ongoing challenge that requires a lot of wisdom. Mark Twain once said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished by how much the old man had learned in seven years. Being a father is indeed a challenge. It's also an incredible privilege because dads have the opportunity to shape the lives of their children. The title of today's message is God's Model for Manhood, and this morning on Father's Day, I want to explore what the Bible has to say about what it means to be a man. Now, before I do, a brief word to those of you who are not men, which is a lot of you this morning. I'd like to direct my comments at points in the message directly to guys, but if you're not a guy, if you're a lady, um, a female, feel free to eavesdrop on our conversation. Because I think what we're going to be talking about today will help you better understand your husband, your dad, your brother, the the man in your life. And if you're a young lady who is not yet married, I believe that it will be very helpful for you to know what true manhood looks like so that you won't settle for a counterfeit. So this message really is for everybody this morning. But guys, here's a question I want to answer this morning. It's on your outline. What kind of man does God want you and me to be? Now, to answer that question, we're going to look at two guys that are mentioned in the Bible. One has a name that some of you are probably familiar with, a young man named Timothy. And there's another guy, and if you were to look up his name in one of those books that lists baby names, you probably wouldn't find it. His name is Epaphroditus. He's rather obscure in terms of his prominence in the Bible. But both of these men are mentioned in the book of Philippians. And what we're going to do is look at Paul's description of these men to see some character traits that point out what it means to be a man of God and also what it means to be a father who has a heart like God. So guys, here's the question. What kind of man does God want us to be? And first of all, we see from Timothy's life that God wants us to be men of compassion. God wants us to be men of compassion. Now look at these verses from Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. And notice what Paul says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Now, Timothy obviously is a guy who really cares about people, 
and he places a high priority on relationships. Now, for many guys, this can be a challenge because a lot of guys place a lot of priority on results, even putting that higher as a priority than relationships. As men, we're often focused on solving problems rather than connecting with people. Now, here's another challenge that we have when it comes to compassion, and this is in verse 21. Paul says, For everybody looks out for his own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. And guys, isn't it true that so often we're focused on whose interest? Our own. And sometimes, because we're so focused on ourselves, we're not focused on others, especially those closest to us. Compassion means that you look beyond yourself and see the needs of others. Listen to this story. A woman was on an overnight flight to meet her husband at a military base in Germany. She was traveling with her nine children, all under age 11. As they collected their suitcases and entered the customs area, a young customs official stared in disbelief and said, Ma'am, do all these children and all this luggage belong to you? Yes, sir, the woman said with a sigh. They're, they're all mine. The customs agent began his interrogation. Ma'am, do you have any weapons, contraband, or illegal drugs in your possession? Sir, she said calmly, if I had any of those items, I would have certainly used them by now. In order to have compassion for somebody, you have to understand what their world is like. So guys, let me ask you, do you really understand the world that your wife lives in? Do you really understand the world that your children live in? And I think it's fascinating that this conversation about compassion comes at a place in the Bible where we read about the incarnation. That's when Jesus Christ becomes a human being. Jesus enters our world. He understands us because he has lived here. He has become one of us, a human being. And the Bible says that when Jesus looked at people, he was moved with compassion. When Jesus sees people with with physical problems, people who are sick and, and blind and crippled, what does he do? He makes their problem his problem, and he heals them. And when Jesus looks at people with emotional problems, people who are discouraged or depressed or anxious, what does he do? He makes their problem his problem, and he teaches and encourages them. And when Jesus looks and sees people with a spiritual problem, what does Jesus do because of his great compassion? He makes their problem his problem. And that really is the heart of the gospel. Jesus makes our problem his problem. I was thinking about this. How many of you guys like to solve problems? You like to come up with solutions? You know, I'm wired that way too. And I think about the gospel in this sense that that I have got a problem. In fact, I've got several problems that are so big that I can't solve them. And that's what the Bible tells us. In fact, it doesn't just apply to men. It applies to everybody. And one of the big problems we have is a three-letter word with a big I in the middle. Do you know what problem I'm referring to? Starts with an S, ends with an N. Yeah, S-I-N, sin. And, you know, the Bible talks about sin, and it says that essentially sin is when we wander away from God's purpose and God's plan for our lives, and we've all done that. You know, God says, love me with all your heart and mind and strength and soul, and we don't. God says, love your neighbor as yourself, and we fail to do that. And the Bible says that's sin. And the Bible also says that sin separates us from a holy God, this God who declares himself to be a father. And because God is holy and because God is just, he has to punish our sin. And that leads to another problem because the wages of sin is what? What does the Bible say? It's death. What we deserve for our disobedience is to die and to be separated from God forever. 
That's a pretty big problem, wouldn't you say? And it's a problem that we cannot solve. And so this is what Jesus does. Jesus volunteers to come to earth to make our problem his problem. And so Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, becomes a human being. And Jesus does what no person could do. He lives a perfect life. And then he allows himself to be arrested and beaten and hung on a cross. And on the cross, God the Father does an amazing thing. He is willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish Jesus in our place. And so Jesus dies the death that we deserved. And Jesus rises from the dead and says, hey, come and follow me. I want to give you a new life. And the way that you have this new life is you admit that you're a sinner, ask for my forgiveness, believe that I died for your sins and rose from the dead, and then come and follow me. Be like me. Now, guys, here's what I want you to see. Jesus enters our world. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to be willing to do the same thing. We have to be willing to enter the world of our wives or the world of our children. Look at the statement on your outline. It says this, A dad who shows compassion to his children is willing to enter their world. Now, those of us who are dads know that our kids can live in all kinds of different worlds. Isn't that true? Sometimes it's the world of computers or video games or reading or sports or, you know, you name it. Now, here's the thing. If you really want to love your kids... You've got to figure out how to enter their world. And guys, it may not be the world that you're necessarily interested in. Um, When my sons were growing up, they loved video games. Anybody have kids that like video games? And it was really funny because I just, I'm not naturally drawn to video games. And so it was an act of love for me to sit there and learn how to play a video game from one of my sons. But that's what it means to enter the world of your children. Um, You know, maybe you have a daughter who loves to sing and she's got a performance coming up and she wants to rehearse and she wants you to listen. That's how you enter her world. I remember one of our our classic family stories. Uh, My daughter Liz was about 10 years old and I overheard her and her mom talking about getting a perm. And it was a Saturday and I said, hey, you know, I'll be glad to take Liz to get a perm. I mean, how long can it take? 30 minutes, 45 minutes? I'll be home, finish my to-do list. I had no idea that I was going to enter a strange and foreign world of beauty salons where ladies get a perm that takes three to four hours. It was the strange initiation. But that's what happens when you enter the world of another person. Isn't that true? And so, guys, here's the deal. God wants us to be men of compassion who are willing to enter the world of our wives and our children. So what kind of man does God want you to be? He wants you to be a man of what? Let's say it together, guys. Compassion. Okay, wait a minute. Time out. Say it like you mean it, okay? A man of compassion. It has much better. Secondly, God wants us to be men of character. Men of character. God wants us to be men who do the right thing even when it's hard. Look at this next verse about Timothy. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Now that word proved refers to tested character. Timothy was a man of character who had deep convictions. Now, do you know the difference is between an opinion and a conviction? An opinion is something that you'll argue about. A conviction is something you will die for. That's a pretty important distinction, wouldn't you say? And here's the point. God is looking for people of conviction. People who are willing to to swim upstream against the currents of culture. People who say, you know, I really don't care what other people think. 
I really don't care what everybody else is doing. I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to do what honors God. There's an old saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. In so many ways, that's true. And guys, let me ask you this. If, if I were to ask people in your life what your convictions are, what would they say? If I went to the place where you work and ask about your convictions, if I talk to your wife or your kids, your friends, what would they say are your convictions? I mean, do you have anything that you believe so strongly that you would risk your life for it, that you would even die for it? I think it's compelling when you study history that you find the, the people who have made the greatest impact in this world are not necessarily the best educated, the most intelligent, the people that were even well-financed. What you find is the people who made the greatest impact, either for good or evil, are the people who have the deepest convictions, people who lived out what they believed. And you see, when it comes to God's goal for us as men, God wants us to be people of conviction, people of character, because our character influences others. Guys, especially our kids. Now, here's a clip from a movie. This is one of my favorite movies called Cinderella Man. And it shows how a dad got involved in shaping the character of his son. Let's watch. What are you doing, son? I'm being good. I'm being quiet. I'm being hafe. Great. <laughs> Daddy! Daddy! Hey, Rosie Cheek! How you doing? Daddy! Jay Star! What? Jay Star. What's all this about? See? It's a salami. Young lady. Your brother's in enough trouble without you telling on him. You understand? It's from the butchers. And he won't say a word about it, will you, Jay? Will you, Jay? Okay, pick it up. Let's go. Do not test me, boy. Right now. How to stay here? Marty Johnson had to go away to Delaware to live with his uncle. Why? His parents didn't have enough money for them to eat. Yeah, well, things ain't easy at the moment, Jay. You're right. There's a lot of people worse off than what we are. And just because things ain't easy. That don't give you the excuse to take what's not yours, does it? That's stealing, right? We don't steal. No matter what happens, we don't steal. Not ever. You got me? Are you giving me your word? Yes. Go on. I promise. 
And I promise you, we will never send you away. It's okay, kid. You got a little scared, I understand. Dads, it's really important for us to try to understand our kids' hearts, isn't it? And it's also important for us to help them make good choices. And realize this, your character is most clearly revealed by the choices that you make when no one is watching. Somebody said this one time, character is what you do in the dark. Now, why is character so important? Well, strong character enables you to provide strong spiritual leadership for your family. Now, there's a question that men have been trying to figure out since the days of Adam and Eve. And here's the question. Are you ready, guys? What do women want? Have you ever wondered that? Well, listen, I have discovered the answer, or at least a big part of the answer. I'm not just through my experience, but through studying the Scriptures, and I believe this is really important. Here's what women want. Are you ready, guys? Can lean forward a little bit. This is really dramatic. Women want spiritual leadership. It's a need that God created them with. Now listen to this story. One evening, a preschooler named Peggy and her parents were sitting on the couch chatting. Peggy asked, Daddy, you're the, you're the boss of the house, right? Her father proudly replied, Yes, I am the boss of the house. Then Peggy added, Is that because mommy put you in charge? You know, when I talk to wives and they um, tell me about their husbands, this is often the gist of the conversation. They say, you know, when it comes to his job, my husband is a go-getter. He's motivated and he works very hard to succeed. And, you know, when it comes to sports or comes to his hobby, I mean, he is energetic and enthusiastic. But when it comes to our family's spiritual life, My husband is, well, he's just pretty passive. He's not very involved. I've even had wives tell me, you know, I think at some point my my husband began to resent my desire to grow spiritually because he wasn't interested in the same thing. Take a look at this statement on your outline. Fathers with Christ-like character deeply influence their families. Fathers with Christ-like character deeply influence their families. Guys, listen. There is so much at stake here in terms of spiritual leadership and the influence that we can have on our, on our kids. And think about this. Think about standing by a pond and picking up a rock and throwing it into the water. Now, when that rock hits the surface of the water, what happens? Ripples go out in every direction, right? Your spiritual leadership has that effect on your family because your influence isn't just for your wife and for your kids, is for generations yet to be born. And if you want to leave a spiritual legacy, it starts here and now with the spiritual leadership of your family. Okay, quick review. Guys, what are the two character traits that God wants us to have? What's number one? And say it like you mean it. Compassion. And what's the second? Character. And we're going to talk about a third. And the third is this, commitment. God wants you to be a man of commitment. And we're going to see this in the following verses. Paul continues, but I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger 
whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. And then Paul continues. He says, indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Let me tell you what's going on here. Um, Paul is in prison in Rome and the church in Philippi, another city, decides to take up an offering and send it to Paul, but they need a volunteer to get it to him. And so this guy named Epaphroditus says, I'll do it. Now, this is no small task because it's about 800 miles from Philippi to Rome. And of course, he's got to walk the whole way. It'd be like, you know, if I told you, hey, I've got a a pastor friend in Washington, D.C., and I need somebody to walk up there and deliver some money from the church. That's what Epaphroditus is doing. Now, what happens along the way is that he gets sick, I mean, really sick, with something called the Roman fever. Now, guys, let me ask you this. Um, Have you ever been sick when you're away from home? Maybe on a business trip or something? Isn't that the worst? I mean, it makes you feel miserable. And what's the one thing you want more than anything else? What do you want to do? You want to go home. And I'm sure that Epaphroditus wanted to go home, but he didn't. He pushed through the pain because of his commitment to Paul and his commitment to the gospel. And guys, let me say this. As as men, we make all kinds of commitments. You know, many of you have made a commitment to follow Jesus. You made a commitment to your wife, a commitment to your kids, a commitment to your boss. But there are days when we don't necessarily feel like keeping our commitments. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but does this ever happen? Do you ever wake up and say to yourself, I don't feel like going to work today? Ever have an argument with your wife and say, you know, I just don't feel like trying to work this out? You ever have a deal at work and you're tempted to to be dishonest and you think to yourself, you know, I just don't feel like being a man of integrity right now? Or maybe there are those days when you don't feel like resisting sexual temptation. What do you do when you feel like that? Well, look at this statement on your outline. It says this, maturity, spiritual and emotional maturity, is when you live by your commitments rather than by your emotions. And guys, that's what it means to be a man of God. You don't just live by your emotions because they can be all over the roadmap. You live by your commitments. You know, one of the reasons that Jesus is our ultimate model for manhood is that he is a great finisher. You know, when it got really tough, Jesus didn't say, you know what, I'm out of here. I'm going home. He pushed through the pain. He accomplished his mission. And Jesus expects his followers to do the same thing. You know, I greatly respect guys who keep their commitments, guys who finish well. And I want to be one of them. I'm greatly encouraged by men who keep their commitments. And guys... I hope that we can encourage one another to do exactly that. Okay, let's, let's review. God wants you to be, first of all, a man of what? What's the first C? Compassion. God wants you to be a man of character, and God wants you to be a man of commitment. And here's the fourth C. God wants you and me to be men of courage. Men of courage. Look at this next verse. It says, Welcome him, speaking of Epaphroditus, welcome him and the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Now, Epaphroditus is clearly a man of courage, and here's why. Paul is in prison, and he's facing a capital charge, one that he could be executed for. And Epaphroditus is not just going there to drop off a gift. He's actually going to serve as Paul's personal attendant. And doing that 
opens him up to the same charge. He could actually lose his life for ministering to Paul. But why does he do it? Because he's a man of courage. And when you read about the believers in the pages of the Bible, when you read the stories of history, as the church begins, there are so many believers that were people of great courage, people who were willing to risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. One of my favorite stories is about a city. It's called Carthage. And this story takes place about 250 A.D. There was a big plague that broke out, and the people in the city of Carthage were dying. And what people were doing, they didn't know what else to do. When, when family members died, they would just place their body out in the street because they didn't want the rest of the family to be infected. And what happened is that because of that, the plague began to spread like wildfire. And one of the pastors, he was a bishop named Cyprian, he called his congregation together and said, listen, here's what I want you to do. Let's go bury the dead and let's go minister to these people that are sick and dying. And I know it's risky. I know that we could die too, but that's what God wants us to do. And those Christians saved the city of Carthage because they were willing to risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. I believe that in our day, many believers have lost the perspective that following Jesus Christ involves a risk. There are some Christians who are looking for a comfortable life, not a life that involves sacrifice. And you know what's happened is, for many Christians, following Jesus has become rather boring. I really believe that's one of the reasons that so many men have checked out of church because deep inside the heart of a man is this, this quest for adventure, this, this need to take risks, this need to do something great for God. And dads, we need to realize this, that our words to our children, our example in front of our children, can either encourage or discourage our kids from attempting something great. There's another movie clip that I want you to watch that really focuses on that theme and this conversation between a father and a son. Let's watch. <laughs> I'm going, bro! Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. You know, uh, you'll probably be about as good as I was. That's kind of the way it works, you know, and I, I, I was below average. You know, so, whoa. So you'll probably ultimately rank somewhere around there, you know, so... Really, you'll excel at a lot of things, just not this. I don't want you out here shooting this ball around all day and night, all right? All right. Okay? All right, go ahead. Never let somebody tell you you can't do something. Not even me. All right? All right. You got a dream, you got to protect it. People can't do something themselves. They want to tell you you can't do it. You want something, go get it. Period.
Dads, it is so important for us to encourage our kids to dream big and to go get the dreams that God is giving them. And here's a big part of the problem. Many guys are confused about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Many people have the impression that the goal of spiritual maturity is to be a nice guy, you know, a mild-mannered man who gets along with everybody, who never gets upset about anything or angry. And yet, think about this. Is that the kind of life that Jesus lived? Is that the kind of man that he was? I love what author Phil Yancey said. He said, how would telling people to be nice to one another get a man crucified? What government would execute Mr. Rogers or Captain Kangaroo? Because that's how some people think of Jesus. But listen, Jesus was wild at heart. Jesus stood up for what was right. He never compromised the truth. He risked his life to save others, and he calls us to do exactly the same thing. And guys, it's when we live like Jesus lived that our hearts become fully alive. You know, in talking to guys, I get the the sense that there's a common denominator among many men. When I hear them talk about their, their day and their life, and the common denominator is this, a lot of guys are bored. It's just the same thing, day after day after day. And I think that one of the reasons, if you're a Christian man and you're bored, is because you don't understand what it really means to follow Jesus Christ. Because when you take the risk of following Jesus and living for his kingdom, that's when your heart really becomes alive. Look at this question on your outline. Is your commitment to Christ deep enough to cause you to risk anything for the kingdom of God? I mean, are you willing to take the risk of sharing your convictions with the people you work with? Because that's a risk, isn't it? Talking to your children about your convictions, your wife. Are you willing to to risk your time, your talents, your financial resources to build the kingdom of God? Are Are you willing to take the risk of walking across the street and listening to your neighbor, getting to know their story so that you can share your story and God's story with them? And guys, remember this. Whatever risk you take, whatever path you pursue, when you're a dad, you need to think about the ones that will wear your shoes and follow in your steps.
so true that as dads we want our kids to find your path and walk it with us and we pray God that you would you would enable that to happen and father I want to I want to pray for the guys who are here today and I just want to invite them to really get serious with you about being a man of God and guys listen if you are as I pray this prayer I'd just would invite you to echo this in your heart this morning. Dear God, I want to be a man of God. I know I've made a lot of mistakes, messed up a lot, a lot of things that aren't right in my life, but, but in my heart I do want to be a man of God. I want to be a, a man of compassion and, and character, and I really want to keep my commitments to you, and I want to be a man of courage who's willing to take a risk for your kingdom. So God, help me. Help me to stand alone when I have to and help me to stand with my brothers when I need to. God, help me love my wife and, and try to understand her world. Help me to love my kids and see their problems as my own. Lord, I, I really believe that, that you died for me. I, I want to join this adventure of following you wherever you lead. So help me do that. And with our heads still bowed, if you're a, a wife sitting next to your husband this morning, would you do this? Just take his hand. And say this to God in your heart. Father, I, I want to encourage my husband to become the man you made him to be. I want us to be a team. I want our family to be strong and, and committed to you and to each other. God, help us to be a courageous couple as we follow Jesus together. For we pray in his name. Amen.